This is Words Matter with Elise Jordan and Steve Schmidt. Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Elise Jordan along with Steve Schmidt. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power and words have consequences. I'm excited today because we have my friend, Emily Jane Fox of Vanity Fair, the all-star reporter who is basically your go-to when you want to know what's going on in Trump world. And we're going to talk about your awesome book called Born Trump. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I read this book immediately and pretty much devoured it. You can just go straight through, and it's so dishy, and it really paints the portrait of just how dysfunctional Donald Trump's family is. And every page, I would say, thank God for my father. Just thank you, Mom and Dad, for being so normal, and thank you, God, for putting me in middle of nowhere Mississippi and not in Trump Tower, just because the dysfunction just pops off the page. It made me, writing this book and doing all the reporting made me so grateful for my parents and my sister. I I felt like I had a a come to Jesus moment appreciating my family. Uh, You know, this book, there have been so much written about this family and these children since the day they were born. Literally, since the day they were born, they've been covered in the press. And they have these images and these caricatures and now these SNL impersonators. And so you had this idea of what these children were like and what their father was like. But I wanted to really understand the relationship with their father to help explain some of the decisions that they make now and and to deeply understand the psychic, twisted, toxic relationship between father and son and daughter. It really does help you understand the dynamic that's at play in the West Wing and then in in the campaign as well, because they're not just a family. They are now political operatives and and people who are serving at the highest level of our government. And and it just does help me understand some of the crazy things that would be inexplicable otherwise. Well, because you go through all of the children as characters and their personal relationship with Donald and starting with the oldest child, Don Jr. Mm -hmm. And the quote that's in there. It just, it's jaw-dropping. It's so sad. It's just how Donald Trump wasn't sure he wanted to name Don Jr. after himself because he might be a loser. What if he's a loser? There are a number of times in the book where I was reporting where my jaw dropped to the floor about things he said about his children. That was certainly one of them. When you think of his relationship with Don Jr., they're very similar in the way that they, they're attack dogs. They're pit bulls and they don't care about who they offend along the way. In fact, that's part of their charm that's like that's who they are and it's interesting now to see what what's happening as don jr takes on a bigger role in the midterm elections and his father's potential re-election campaign if it gets that far sometimes you see don jr road testing things for his father where he will say something that is particularly offensive and if the maga base lights up to it then Don Sr. will repeat it a couple of days later. And so it's 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 interesting the role that he's playing is that he's this more extreme version of his father who's sort of like the body man taking the blows and seeing if it works and then the president will repeat it. And that's an interesting point because Don Jr., it's been reported, doesn't actually talk to Donald Trump all that often, yet he's the most visible and popular surrogate going around the country. So he is trying to win his father's affection by going around on the political campaign trail. And then you've got Ivanka Trump, who from an early age 
used the press as a way to build her esteem in the eyes of her father, which was so incredibly sad to learn about. Mm-hmm. It's funny. They all use something that they know will appeal to their father as a way to gain his affection. And it all stems back, you know, as most children um, of divorce can relate to, it all stems back to the divorce where uh, when Don Jr. was just turning 13 and Ivanka was 10 and Eric was 8, um, or around those ages, their father very publicly left their mother for Marla Maples and their reactions were very different. Eric was was young and so he didn't really uh, react the same way, but Ivanka was terrified that her father was going to leave her, that her last name would no longer be Trump, that she would be replaced by another woman and kind of be forgotten. Don Jr. didn't talk to his dad. He was very angry. Uh, for for years and really at first didn't want to go into the Trump organization because of what happened and then he realized there was nothing else for him to do. Uh, so so you see the way that that plays out where they all try and, and gain his affection and keep his love because they were worried as children that they wouldn't be able to and they just do it in a different way. So Ivanka is like this master media manipulator and understands or she was. I would not say so anymore. Her relationship with the press is pretty tough right now. But she was very, very skilled at, at crafting her image. Don Jr. is sort of this attack dog in a way to serve his father and his businesses and now his campaign. And Eric is sort of the dependable, reliable businessman. That's why you saw, I mean, I know from my own reporting, um, Eric has not copped to this or confirmed it, but that uh, with the Michael Cohen stuff, the president tapped Eric to be the one to deal with the Stormy Daniels-Michael Cohen lawsuit because he knew that Eric would be a reliable foot soldier for him and could handle the complexities of that situation. Are they looking for affection and love or are they looking for business approval? It's Is the it same about thing the to organization? Them. It's the same thing. They're unable to untie those two things. So being in that business orbit and being connected to their father in any way is something that they're looking for. Did they do things as a family when those kids were younger that were fun? Uh, it depends on your definition of fun. Both of their parents, when they were together, worked nonstop. Uh, Ivana was taking care of the casinos in Atlantic City, so she was helicoptering back and forth to Atlantic City every single day. They would spend weekends at they had this house in Greenwich, um, and so they would helicopter up. Donald would take a seaplane sometimes up to Greenwich, but the kids were raised by two nannies who they had their entire lives and Ivana's parents. That was something I actually highlighted in the book as I was reading it about Ivanka and Ivana having time alone together and how they just didn't do it. Time alone without the nannies, her brothers, Donald, and Atlantic City in the plaza sucking up all the oxygen. Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of children have parents who work really hard uh, and and are raised by wonderful caretakers. But these were parents who I've never really heard of parents who's, you know, when you have kids, your life changes and you, you your life changes to accommodate your children. The children had to accommodate their parents in this instance. They were definitely what I think I've heard the phrase parent first, um, where it was like the kids had to fit in their lives. They didn't, they had like white couches in their apartment and glass animals and things that you don't have when you have young kids because the kids had their own floor of the apartment and were kept very separate from their parents. And you know, full-time help for their entire lives. In fact, one of the nannies that raised the children is still works for Ivana today as her assistant. So the, these are people who are very ingrained in the family and their parents didn't really have that kind of relationship. Are there, are there favorites amongst the kids? Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> they think <laughs> you could name the, it. Let's get through the hierarchy. Uh, so, Ivanka is like first amongst equals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just no one higher because she's smarter. Because she's a better media manipulator. Because why? She's good looking. Uh, she's attractive. She's very skilled with the media, and she's someone who her father. I think his father just like her. He likes women better. He just gets along with women better. If you see the people who have really succeeded and stayed the longest in the West Wing, it tends to be the women who understand how to manipulate him better and operate around him better. I think he also feels threatened by men sometimes. Uh, and and I think that that's part of the reason. Plus, she's like the most palatable, outwardly impressive of his children. Don Jr. From my reporting... They, they've had this sticky relationship since he was an adolescent, but I don't believe he thinks Don Jr. is very bright. Someone who's very close to the president once told me that uh, the president asked him, what do you do when you have two sons and one is far more skilled and, and capable than the other? And the implication was that Eric was the far more skilled and capable than the other and that's why eric trump is the one who's deputized to deal with you know kind of cleaning things up why he was the one who took over turnberry which is the golf course in scotland which was a huge thing for their business it happens to be hemorrhaging money but uh, it was eric who took it over and not don jr so does jr look at this as really the opportunity of a lifetime to build his brand to really step outside of his father's shadow and and be a legitimate political power player in his own and in you know the, I guess uh, Trumpistan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say he's stepping outside of his father's zone because he's basically stumping on his father's message. But out of all of them, including his father, Don Jr. is the only one with like real ideological beliefs, and he's certainly the most conservative amongst all of them. He has this weird appeal because he does hunt and he does spend time in the middle of the country where uh, the president would never, ever spend time with the kinds of people where the president would not spend time with. There have been rumblings for years long before his father run, ran that he would one day run for governor or mayor or have some sort of position. I think in his mind, that's potentially what he's gearing up for here. And where does he's t- going to pop the question to Kimberly Guilfoyle? I mean, I'm not sure the status of his divorce. I'm not sure he's he's divorced yet officially, but they seem to be awfully smitten. That's a MAGA Very couple. Fast. That's a MAGA, MAGA couple. couple made uh, made for TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You end the book talking about Tiffany and giving some insight into her life and her relationship with Donald Trump or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. You could argue that she had the most privileged upbringing simply because Donald Trump wasn't around. Sure. I mean, she has said, and Marla, her mother, has said that Marla raised her as a single mother and that she would go and see her father for a week at spring break at Mar-a-Lago and they would talk on the phone occasionally. But they lived all the way across the country in Calabasas and she lived her life. I mean, at that point, I guess The Apprentice was, was on the air for some of her childhood, but the last name Trump didn't really mean much. I mean, the Kardashians live, grew up with her too. And so living across the country, you're kind of separated from the nonstop Trump attention that her siblings had. It wasn't until she went to Penn, went to college, uh, and that's, she, you know, this was like during birther time that she was at Penn, that people really connected her and associated with her with her, with her father for the first time. That was really her first taste of what it was like to be in her siblings' shoes and you're seeing that play out a little bit now. I mean, look, she lives in D.C. She gets She's going to law school in D.C. And you only ever 
see her around when it's like an Easter egg roll or a big thing for the family, a big event at the White House. She really is trying to live her most normal life away from her family. It's sort of what most adult first children act like is what Tiffany's doing. It's just so abnormal that you have what Ivanka and Don Jr. are and, and somewhat Eric are, are doing for their father. Do the kids like politics? Do, are they happy that their father's president? I think they think of it as the chance of a lifetime. They're all taking advantage of it. It's like they're kids in a candy store right now. I, my sense was they did not expect him to win. They did not. I, I was working on a story the Friday before the election with Ivanka's people about how she was going to get her brand back on track after the election. Like they had a whole plan. And I had a whole story written <laughs> that got scrapped about this plan because everything changed. And as soon as he won, uh, they shifted into, okay, this is not what we expected, but it's happening and we're going to take advantage of it. And it has uh, obviously shifted and expanded since then. But this was something that they were just going to jump on board with. They're not innately polit- political people. Do they have a sense how they're reviled by half of the country, the intensity of it? Don Jr. doesn't care because he's energized by the people who love him. Uh, Ivanka is keenly aware of the perception of, of her, and she cares about it. She monitors the coverage of her close, of herself closely. She like She's the one on her Twitter she sees what people are saying about her. She reads what people are writing about her. I know because she reads what I write about her. Will she Will she be bothered by the coverage of her yes. right now? Yes. And Distraught that's why, about it? Uh, I think sometimes she's angry about it. I think sometimes she's bothered by it. I think she feels misunderstood. I think she feels uh, attacked unnecessarily because of her father. I'll give you an example. Even her own father was, was bringing her up in the context of taking this UN secretary job. And he said, wouldn't she be great? But I can't do it because of nepotism. And so people started running with this rumor that perhaps she was going to take over Nikki Haley's job. And immediately she tweeted, I know my father will nominate someone great, but it will not be me because, you know, the way she works is if it's a bad story for her, if she's going to get 10 stories written about her saying, oh my God, can you believe this nepotism? She's just going to try and stop it and cut it off and cut off the oxygen right away because she doesn't want to deal with that bad press. Do you think though she would like to be the UN ambassador? Because she kind of flirted around with an international tour. She went to India. It was a trip that a secretary of state in a normal administration would have been taking. And it did seem like she was kind of trying to take steps to burnish her international credentials. Sure. I mean, look at what she did during UNGA week. She was uh, meeting with um, Theresa May. She was meeting with Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. She was on all these panels. She was there the entire week. This is in the middle of the Kavanaugh shitstorm. And she was in New York playing diplomat. And I, mean, I went with her when she did her trip to Berlin. She was on stage with with Angela Merkel and Christine Lagarde and again Queen Maxima and she looked very happy to be there. Uh, we we actually went through the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin which has these amazing pillars outside and it's kind of a security nightmare because you're walking through hundreds of these cement pillars and the Secret Service can't really see through and once she got through them there were like it looked like a Kardashian was being chased down the street. There were like hundreds of people, paparazzi and it felt like 
that was a role she was comfortable in and and I could see her down the road being interested in this sort of international diplomat like figure where she doesn't have to run for election and she doesn't have to go through a senate confirmation but she can just be anointed to this status one of the things I think is the most telling about this situation and as much as uh, Ivanka tries to say you know I'm just a normal staffer in the west wing and whatever outside of her office in the west wing you know you guys both know this there are these big blown up pictures all around the west wing and they're usually like the president greeting service members and uh, the vice president giving speeches there is a photo blown up outside of her office of her and Jared in black tie on inauguration night dancing on stage and she's in this glittery Can you imagine if Barbara and Jenna had big photos and you know her office is like horrified. her office is like that big corner office on the second floor that's right above the oval office yeah, absolutely. Um, with the windows on both sides so it's, it's outside of her office hung and framed with the silver sharpie written on the photo saying something like to the most beautiful couple in the world, I am so proud of you. Love, Dad. And it's on the outside of her office. Like, if you want to have that framed in your office, that's fine. It's like your personal space. But to hang it outside your office in the West Wing, this looks like a coronation. It just says a lot. Well, so I do have a question about pictures for you. Mm -hmm. Because when we were in... The White House. President Bush had a picture behind his desk, very prominent, of Laura Bush and then one of his daughters. Yes. And for a while in Donald Trump's office, he had one picture of, of his, his father, dad, yeah. Fred Trump. And Fred Trump has come into the news a lot more recently. I, for one, had no idea that the guy was one of the wealthiest individuals in the world. Wild. Absolutely wild. I thought of him as like a very rich person, like a 10 to 20 mm-hmm. million person. But I didn't realize the guy literally was a slumlord who probably committed massive tax fraud as the New York Times. It was like Kushner level money. Yeah. What's the relationship with Donald Trump and the dad as you see it? Because I would I, say anybody anybody who gave me $400 million, <laughs> I, would, I would totally have their picture. On my desk. Blown up like seven times. I would, like a I contact would, sheet. I would actually, I would put it outside. <laughs> that seems like <laughs> fair to me. Anyone who would give me 400 million, Steve's totally Anybody, cool with it's you. In the, it's a whole I think that's been, fine. See, I've been obsessed with the Fred Trump relationship just because, is that why Donald Trump is so twisted? Was his dad abusive? Well, what I mean, was he got sent it? to military school. You remember as a kid, his parents were like, you're too difficult. We're going to send you off to military school. Someone who's very close to the family made the smartest point to me and connects Fred Trump and uh, uh, President Trump's children. And I, I've been thinking about it since last week, since this person told it to me. Uh, the person said, after reading that New York Times story, it's amazing the lengths that Fred Trump went to to not only enrich his all of his children, but to save Donald Trump's ass, right? Like time and time again, and compare that to the way that the president has put his children in legal jeopardy and reputational jeopardy and has made them poorer by doing what he's doing. And so it tells you everything you need to know about the president as a father and as a man as a human being that he was given so much and saved by his own father and is doing the opposite with his children what struck me about the story too is that fred trump didn't mind in the mid-70s when donald trump would show off his wealth to a new york times reporter and claim it as his own he just let donald take credit in the press for 
all of his wealth, all of his earned labor, and didn't really mind. But could you ever see Donald Trump letting the one of his kids get away it's with that? It's the opposite. I mean, the Fred Trump situation is extraordinary, but I, it's more in line with what I think most parents would do. You want the best for your child. You want better for your child than you had for yourself, and you'd be happy if they took credit for things you did. It makes them look good. But the president does the exact opposite. He won't let anyone take credit for anything, even if it was they're doing and and he wants the best for himself not necessarily his children so he's a he's a tax fraud and a tax cheat for sure but sure the amazing part about the new york times story is the degree to which fred trump is constantly bailing him out and have some sense that it's this completely shambolic business but the incompetence of it all careening from business disaster to business disaster to business disaster to fake and fraudulent university to Trump steaks, Trump wine, the merchandising. It's just, it's unfathomable. It is uh, truly unbelievable. And to think of the great wealth that his father had, and if if President Trump had been the kind of businessman his father had been, obviously that's a corrupt and quite likely criminal kind of businessman. But if, if he had continued to be as successful as his father, he would be, you know, probably 10 times as rich as as he is today he just didn't have it he just didn't have it and when his father died and was unable to help him and prop him up that's why you that's why you saw all the failure starting to happen there was no one to save him anymore no one to bail him out anymore what's the relationship between melania and the kids so they were actually when they first started dating the kids were okay with Melania. Ivanka, I think, in an interview at at the time, made a joke that as long as she was older than Don Jr., she didn't much care, which I think if that's the bar, that's an interesting thing. They had a very tricky relationship with Marla, and so they were happy with Melania. I don't think that there's a tremendous amount of closeness there. Someone who was very close to Melania was explaining to me that, you know, Melania's pretty much alone in in D.C. and in the White House, and it's not like Ivanka's inviting her over to dinner all the time. There's not a tremendous amount of personal closeness there, but I think that they're they're fine with each other. There's no fighting with, with one another. They're, they're okay. It's just not like they're all hunky-dory, close-knit family. Which of these kids is most like Donald Trump? It's so hard to say because they're so similar to him in very different ways. But what I think is interesting is you see Don Jr. repeating exactly what Don Sr. did to his family. I mean, he has five children, like his father, like Fred Trump, interestingly. Uh, Don Sr. obviously got divorced and immediately started dating who he saw was like this beautiful starlet. And we see this happening with Kimberly Kilfoyle right now. So there are a lot of lifestyle similarities between Don Sr. and Don Jr. that I noticed. But Ivanka is also in behavior very much like her father, just sort of like the spoonful of sugar version of her dad. How does Jared fit into all of this? And what's his relationship with the two sons? From the way I understand it, there has been a bit more tension between Jared and his brothers-in-law than there was before, uh, simply because you'll remember that it is Jared's amended security clearance form that uh, named that Trump Tower meeting that could potentially put Don Jr. in some serious legal jeopardy. Prison? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's an interesting thing for a brother-in-law to have to do to to your, you know, your wife's brother. So I think that there's a bit of tension between them two. And look, 
Jared. Steve forgot a lot of Russians he was meeting with when he was filling out it's his so SSF. It's so hard to remember didn't. all of the Russians. Like, I'm dating myself because, <laughs> you know, when I was involved in Republican campaigns and around the White House, there were no Russians anywhere. Just, we didn't have How did you Russians. even win then? It was didn't speak Russian. They didn't have. There were no they Russians. They were hanging there out. Did not have benches. Business there meetings. Were no, no one was like, we have to meet with the Russians today. No Russian the, bankers talking no about Russian potentially bankers, financing your family's no, business. No dictators, autocrats. It's wild. No one. It's amazing it's, that you won. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it, Jared is sort of. Uh, you know, he's constantly praised by the president for his tremendous work on Middle East peace and uh, all of the the wonderful things he's taken on in his White House portfolio. You don't hear that kind of constant praise for Don Jr. and for Eric. And I would imagine just as a human being, if you're hearing someone who's not technically blood related getting praised by a man who you're desperate to be praised by, that must be sticky. I mean, if I was trying to solve Middle East peace, I would definitely put Don Jr. into the mix. I think that, you know... I think he could be the missing ingredient. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, right? I'd send all of them. <laughs> I mean, if you team the three of them... They off, will figure it the out. Vanga, that, Eric, that is Don the Jr., it is... How could you say no? How right? could you say no? More importantly, how could the Palestinians and the Israelis say no? I think that everyone would probably just throw up their hand. There actually may work because everyone would just be like, this is so insane. We got we got to get out of this. Absolutely. Let's just end it now. Then there's Baron Trump, who is my favorite Trump. I think he's adorable. And Very tall. I like that the press hasn't gone after him and that he has, you know, been able to hopefully have a semi-well-adjusted transition to the White House. How has it been for him as a child moving to Washington, D.C. and starting a new life? I think it's any it's hard for any kid when you're 11 years old to be taken out of a school where he was really comfortable and the kids were really understanding of a situation and, and nice to him even through the vitriol of the campaign and to move to another place where, you know, I don't think that they were even given the opportunity to apply to most of the private schools that first children go to. I don't think that they were even given applications. So there's a lot of people in Washington, D.C. who wouldn't accept a Baron Trump. And I think he's settled into somewhat of a normal rhythm, and the press has been very respectful. They've kind of continued that tradition that they had with the Obama daughters when they were younger. And that's a nice thing to see, especially in this environment. It wasn't a given. Uh, but, you know, it's, I think it's been a little bit of a tough adjustment taking him out of a school where he was really comfortable and into a place that is not necessarily as welcoming. Does Melania like being first lady? First of all, I think it's first lady is almost one of the worst jobs you could have because the duties, I mean, for me personally, it would be a nightmare because you have <laughs> just like, you're just like social obligation after social obligation, meeting strangers. And I, Melania is a very private person. She's someone who has a very small circle of friends and was not a social animal. She was not someone who was going out to dinner parties and, and to red carpets and to, to big social events all the time. That was just not what her life was like in New York. She comes back to New York a lot, and I think a lot more than people realize. Um, she spends time with her parents and with Baron, and I don't think this was a natural fit for her, and I think we see that playing out all the time. I think she definitely butts up with, with the job. What lot. I have been so saddened by is if Melania and Ivanka have a pulse, they should be outraged about the child separation policy. 
Well, this was, I think, my greatest sticking point, particularly with Ivanka. I mean, Melania did put out a statement almost before anybody else did. Even I think even before her husband said anything, um, months before Ivanka said anything, saying, you know, this is wrong. Immigration is complicated and we have to be tough, but, you know, we should protect our children. Ivanka, who is only in the White House to be an advocate for women and children and families, said nothing publicly. And she later said, like a month later said, um, six weeks later, you know, this was the hardest time for me. Yeah, it's and all it's about like, her. It's for all about you, her. this is the hardest time what for you. How about these two year olds who are like representing themselves in court and living in cages? It may be like a little bit hard for them too. And and as an advocate, you're not an advocate unless you're advocating for something. And so maybe you're doing it privately to your father and that's great but that's not what an advocate is that's a staffer so just say i'm a staffer just say i'm here to serve my own purposes to advance my own ambition to do the innocuous bipartisan things that will uh, get me to where i want to go after the white house but don't call yourself an advocate if you're not advocating for anybody it's yes just you're like, actively contributing to traumatizing children if you can't like the definition of an advocate is someone who publicly says something so if you're not going to publicly say something, like let's just strip that advocacy, advocacy thing right out of there. I never really thought about her suffering in this, in that when you're down at the border and you think of a 2,000-mile journey coming out of some of these despotic and violent places where these kids are riding on the roofs of trains and they finally see somebody with an American flag on their shoulder believing they're going to be safe and six-month-old is ripped from the mother's breast, put into a baby detention center or a little kid toddler internment camp. But it never occurred to me that she who suffers most is in fact Ivanka. And that really I think we should all be boil. more sensitive to her plight. You we really also should not stop. This needs to be more of a sustained campaign to not forget what is happening on the border. Every time I think it's so horrific that we turn our gaze away, and the fact that it still is happening makes me sick to my stomach. And you know what's interesting? Now that Ivanka Trump, and I, I, you're making me think about this for the first time, there should be this sustained campaign, and because it was so hard for her, and we should give her uh, more empathy because this was just just very trying shouldn't she be doing more if this was so hard for her yeah they should be called Ivanka Sh- shouldn't shouldn't she's the women and what children else advisor. what else is more important for her slate than this and if it was so difficult for her wouldn't that be your first priority if it was so trying and testing on your soul I read mainly on my Kindle. I'm Same. obsessed with my Kindle and it's just easy and you can have a book on demand but I have been slowly converting to listening a bit over Audible, and I enjoyed listening to you read your book. How was that process for you? I commend anyone who does this on a regular basis. It was Writing a book is very difficult. Uh, reporting a book is difficult. Reading your own book is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. You have to be uh, very precise, and you're reading your own material probably for the seven millionth time anyway, and you have to read every single word and make sure it's right. So I, I have the utmost respect for people who do this as a as a profession. It's really an unbelievable talent and skill, and the level of patience they must have is It took remarkable. you four days? I did it over four days in a row, uh, about six or seven hours a day straight, that's hard labor. And my jaw would kill at the end of the day. It was, it was really, really tough, but got it done. It's part of the process. 
Well, Emily Jane Fox, it is a lot. It's a doozy of a story. It's a doozy of a book. It makes you really grateful for your family. So that's why I would encourage everyone to read it, just to appreciate mom and dad and your brothers and sisters a little bit more. Thank you so much for your great reporting. Oh, thank you for having me. You can listen to Born Trump by Emily Jane Fox on Audible, narrated by Emily herself. It is a fantastic listen. And here's a special offer for our listeners. If you go to audible.com slash words matter and sign up for a 30-day free trial, you can get Born Trump by Emily Jane Fox for free. Or you can text words matter to 500-500. Audible, because words matter. Thank you for listening to Words Matter with Elise Jordan and Steve Schmidt. For more information on our show and hosts, visit wordsmattermedia.com. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.